Welcome to the Awake Church Podcast. At Awake, our mission is simple. Know God, take action. We pray this podcast will help you on that journey. Iniquity practiced. Iniquity 
to be simply defined as sin that is practiced over and over and over until there's a bent toward that great sin. And now that sin has become an unwanted lifestyle. And so the difference between sin and iniquity is that iniquity is that practice over and over until it's a lifestyle. And then when iniquity, when this habit, when this behavior begins to pass through the generational lines and we see it in grandparents and parents and children, when we can see this passing forward, that is when we call it a generational curse. And so a generational curse, we are going to see symptoms, we're going to see things that tell us that that's there. So last week, it was interesting, I spoke on sin. And one of the things that stood out to me, I think, the most about what he said was just what he said, sin is costly. Like, sin has a great cost. And today, I think we're going to see one of the costs of sin. So, how does this iniquity now that has become a generational curse, and we're seeing it in our family line, behavior patterns, how does that affect us? So I want to read Proverbs 26, verse 2. It says, Like a sparrow in its splitting, like a swallow in its flying, so a curse without cause is not right. So if we look at that verse and we think about generational curses, what this is saying to us is that a curse in a generational line does not actually come forward and affect us in our lives until that door is open. And the door is open through sin. Right? So sin has a great cost that it can open the door to a generational pattern that is coming through our family line. It can be forward then in our lives and we can see that. So I want to share a story from Scripture where um, I believe that David, King David, saw this very clearly. And the context of Psalm 51 is that David had stayed home from war. And he had been up on his rooftop. He sees Bathsheba on the rooftop somewhere over where he could see her. But he actually has men go get her and bring her to him. Right? There's adultery that happens in David's life. And then because of that, there's a pregnancy there. Right? He sends men to murder her husband. So that story is the context in Psalm 51. And so this psalm reads this way. Be gracious to me, God. According to your faithfulness, according to the greatness of your compassion, wipe out my wrongdoings. Wash me thoroughly from my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my wrongdoings and my sin is constantly before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in guilt, and in sin my mother conceived me. So I want to read that very last verse, that verse 5 again, in the Amplified 
and this is what it says. Behold, I was brought forth in a state of iniquity. My mother was sinful who conceived me, and I too am sinful. I really believe that David had an understanding that there had been this bent in his life toward the sin that he had stepped into. And he had seen it in his mother. He doesn't say it here. It could have been further back, right in the family line, and he was seeing that. But I believe that David saw that he had stepped into a sin that had pulled this generational curse into his life. And this is where he comes to the Lord and he begins to repent for that. I don't think we have the whole story, maybe, of everything that David said to the Lord at that moment. But I think he understood that. Another quick story that's not in the Bible that I just felt like the Lord wanted me to share with you guys today was there was an interview with a man who had been in prison. He was in prison for molestation, for rape, for things of that nature. And so this interviewer went to see him in prison, and she said to him, um, you know, basically, why do you feel like you did you know, all these things that you've done? And so he began to tell his story, and he said, when I was a child, my dad molested me. And he tells his story about what had happened. And the interviewer said, you know, did you like what happened to and he said, no, I didn't. And then she said, well, then why would you go do that again thing? And this is what he said. He said, I couldn't help myself. It was like an internal desire that was inside of me that pulled me toward I couldn't help myself. And so he went on to say that the first few times that he had done these things, he felt bad. It's like there was something inside of him with conviction that was saying something was wrong. But after five or six times, what he said was it became normal. It became lifestyle. Right until he was caught and, of course, put in prison. That is what generational curses can look like put forward. And then that's a little bit of like you know, maybe an extreme case, but that's what it looks like when it's pulled forward, is that there's something in our generational lives that is a habit pattern of sin that's been practiced over and over, and we can see that in our family lives a lot of times as we do. So I often get asked this question, and I think this is probably one of the biggest things that I hear. And that question is, how can I have a generational curse in my life if I'm saved? Jesus became a curse, right, so that I will not be cursed. So I want us to look at that a little bit and kind of review as we roll into this next scripture that if there is a generational curse in my life, I can see that. Whether it's addiction or alcoholism, whatever it is that we can see. Right, if that's in my mind and now I've opened the door through that sin, then that is coming through. So now it's like I've made agreement with the enemy and I've given it a place to arise in my life. 
So let's look at Galatians 3 13. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. Yes, Jesus did become a curse, and he did redeem us. Right? But we get to take action and appropriate Christ's redemption. So we get to see this pattern, this thing that is trying to wreak havoc in our lives. Maybe it's what we were singing about. Maybe it's the anxiety and paranoia and fear. And these things are so strong that we feel like they're overtaking us in our lives. Well, there's good news. Jesus, yes, he did become a curse. He did redeem us. But we need to appropriate the work that he did. And we do that through confessing our sin, through forgiving those in our family line that have come before us, that have opened that door to give the enemy access. There is a cure. There is a remedy. So, I want to talk a little bit um, before we move any further about my authority to break generational curses. Because I think it's really important that we understand that we have everything that we need when we are in Christ. When we are saved, then we have everything that we need to break these generational curses. So, I just want to tell you a little bit of a story. We're going to fast forward through scripture. You know, Satan, Lucifer, our ancient enemy, God's ancient enemy, there's so many ways that we refer to him. But he was in heaven and he walked in power and authority before the fall. So, um, in Ezekiel 28, verses 14 through 15, this is what the Bible says about him. You are an anointed cherub who travels, and I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created, as your unrighteousness was found in you. Right, so Satan became prideful. He's wanting to elevate himself above God. And a lot of us think of the I'm rules. That is in Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 15. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will make myself like the most high. So we know that because of this unrighteousness, because of this pride, that like Satan is cast down out of heaven. So now if we fast forward, right, he has lost his relationship with God, his proximity to God. He's been separated, and he's on the earth. And then enter Genesis 3, like Adam and Eve in the garden. And I believe that the enemy saw that God had given Adam and Eve this power, this authority, this dominion, like to walk with him. He was seeing that I had that. I lost that. I want 
you surely will not die as you eat of this tree. And so what happens is they do eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that was like making an agreement with the enemy about what they said. So it's like they agree with the enemy in that moment that, yes, God is withholding from us. And if we eat this, then we will become like God. Doesn't that sound familiar? Like, so then, the enemy now has convinced them to agree, and they have given their authority and dominion over to the enemy, like in that moment. So now we see the fast forward again, back to Jesus. So we all believe. Right, that Jesus came to the earth as a man, that he walked on this earth, fully God, fully man, that he went to the cross to reconcile us, to reconcile all things to him. Right, we say that he was um, crucified, he was buried, he was in the grave for three days, and what happened? During those three days that he was in the grave, but Jesus went and confronted, he descended, the Bible says, and he confronted Satan, and he said, I am taking back the keys. All authority, right, over death, hell, the grave, all authority is being taken back. And then Jesus is resurrected. And before he ascends to be with the Father, he speaks in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And he says this, And Jesus came up to them, and he spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in earth and in heaven. Now, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I commanded you. Right, so Jesus has taken back all authority, and now he's giving that authority to us. So when we're saved, then he's in me, and I'm in him. He has all authority. He's given me all authority. We co-labor now, right, to break the power of everything that is not on earth as it is in heaven. So I think about it this way with appropriation. How many of us were saved before we asked Jesus into our heart, before we knew about Jesus? We weren't. But we have to take action to appropriate that. We can know that Jesus died for all sin, that he died for all curses, that he heals us, and all of those things, but there's that action of actually accepting him, right? Asking him into our heart. And then once we do that, there is a walking out of salvation. Right, we think about now we walk out that salvation from glory to glory. So I want to look at a couple of verses related to that. Philippians 2, verse 12 says, So then, my beloved, just as 
as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Well, I think about that verse and I think, why is fear and trembling? I believe that the working out of our salvation, there are things that we're going to see that we need to do. There are things that we're going to see that we might need to wrestle out of our lives. Right? There are things that we're working out from glory to glory. It's a process. So Romans 12, verse 2, says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So it's saying here that we're going to walk down our salvation. We're going to not be conformed to the things that the world says we can be conformed to, but we are to be transformed, to be more and more like Him from glory to glory. Walking this out every day. It's like we get saved and our spirit is, is into alignment now with Jesus. And now our soul and the things that we need to wrestle with and take care of, our flesh and the things that are coming against all get brought into alignment through this beautiful process that we get to walk with God. So, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that we all, with unveiled faces, looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. We are being transformed into His image. I can't help but think here about that speaking a couple of weeks ago on the living epistles and I think if nothing else stood out, she had handed out mirrors. And we were to hold this mirror up and look in it. And the Lord had given her this phrase the night before that said, Mirror, mirror in my mirror, do I reflect the great I am? That is the goal. And that is God's goal for us, is that we look more and more like him as we walk this journey out. As we, what I always call, clean up the things, right, that he shows us that are not like him. So, lots of scripture in here tonight. Now, I want to look at John 14, 30. Um, Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. Now, Jesus was sinless, right? And we're not. But there are places that we're called to, I believe, in our callings, in what he's called us to do. And I'm going to share an example personally with you guys about this, where there are places that he will show us something in our lives that he's wanting removed completely so that that thing doesn't have any control over us. So when he shows us something, I think the question is, how are we going to 
have to continue to agree with the enemy and to allow these things to come into our lives and are we going to turn towards him and deal with those things and walk out of him with him. So I want to share a little bit of a personal story about this and just something that happened in my life. So both sides of my family line had alcoholism. My dad's side of the family and my mom's been pretty severe. Like I couldn't really look back and tell you any, like aunt or uncle or really anyone who had not walked in this place of just really alcoholism happened. And so along with that are all the things that come with it. Some people get angry. I mean, there's all kinds of things there. So I had always kind of been one of those people that just, I really didn't have an addictive personality to things like that. So I always just thought, well, I can drink a glass of wine, it's okay, it won't affect anything. And I was able to do that off and on for years. But then there became this point in my life where every day, at the end of the day, it was like the wine down for me. This was when my son was young, so I was probably in my late 20s. And every day I would sit down and I would take a glass of wine, and it would be like that was what I was depending on to wind down, to help me settle down, to help me just, you know, transition from this day to the peace, to the energy, to go to bed. And one evening I was sitting um, with a glass of wine, and I mean, I was always talking to the Lord, reading the Word, or a book, or this night, the Lord came to me and He said, Would you be willing for this glass of wine to be the last one that you drink? And in that moment, I don't think I had any idea why or what the, the urgency of that was or the importance of that was, but I unpacked it with the Lord over a little bit of time. And what He showed me and what He's continued to show me is that in what I do as a minister, I am called to help people walk out of addiction, to walk out of alcoholism. And what the Lord was saying to me was, this is in your family line and you know it. And you are right here at the edge of this taking over in your life. And you have a choice. Will you repent for what to me, not because it was a glass of wine, but because of how I was using it, what it was representing. It had become like an idol. It had become like that glass of wine would be more important than just talking to God. Right? It was like that was what I needed at the end of the day. And so I said to the Lord, yes, that I would let that be my last glass of wine. And so by saying yes to that, I just between me and God, there was a space that I would not do that. Now, fast forward in my life, and I can see so many reasons why God did that. Not only to save my life, but there are things that happen when we say yes to God. So, if I'm ministering to someone who has an addiction or alcoholism specifically, guess what? It doesn't have anything in me. So I have authority over it, and I can help those people walk out of that. Right? They can borrow my authority, so to speak, for us 
is that when we when we deal with a generational curse like that, right, we are standing in the gap and we're saying to the enemy, you made it through the line this far, but no more. So we might look back and see it in our family line, but looking forward, I can tell you that I cannot right now in my life see anyone in our family line that is an alcoholic. My brother is five years or so sober. And I believe that that is the fruit, right, of what God did. That I stood in the gap so the generational curse could be removed. Now, let me say this. Our personal sin is ours. Whoever in my family line has, has been sinning through, you know, letting this curse be pulled through and not just drinking a glass of wine and being drunk, like moving into alcoholism, then they will have to deal with that themselves. But what happens is when the curse is pulled out of the line, the bent toward it is gone, even in their lives. So God can come and work. And I watched him come and work in my brother's life to see him sober. And I watched him save the alcoholics in our family before they died. And they went to be with the Lord. That is the fruit of what we get to do when we're willing to recognize something in our life and have it. Deal with that with God and then walk forward saying, no more. You will not have my children and my children's children. It ends here. And that's part of what we get to do today is to walk out of those things. So when there's a pattern, if it is not of God, if it's not a part that is what is in God, then we should desire for that not to be in us. And that's a part of this walking out, this journey of salvation. Right? The Lord doesn't show us everything all at once, but He'll convict us with His kindness throughout our journey. And we get to take those things that we're convicted of, bring them to Him, do what we know to do, step into that authority. And take care of that. So, just this kind of really quick, I want you to hear two things. I did not say that it is a sin to drink a glass of wine or beer or alcohol or whatever it is. For me, because of how it was affecting my life and what was in my family life, personal decision for me, not a religious thing. So, please hear that. The other thing is, I'm not saying that I am. Sinless. Jesus is sinless, we're not. But because of this space of alcoholism, I can say there's none of that in me. I don't partake of that, so I can step into authority in that to help other people. So I just wanted to make sure that nobody misunderstands anything that I said there. So for us all here today, what are some examples? of the things that we might look for in our lives that could say that there's a generational curse. So I'm going to share several with you. There's lots more, but I think these are some probably the top 12. So patterns of addiction, such as drugs, alcoholism, pornography, things of that nature in the family life. Mental and emotional breakdown, extreme fear, paranoia, anxiety. 
repeated chronic sickness, especially hereditary diseases, like a lot of times it's heart disease, diabetes. Some of those things, not all of them, but some of those things are generational curse. High levels of anger, rage, and hatred, where we see that there's like the inability to control and it's like we can go from zero to a hundred in rage. Um, the breakdown of marriages and family alienation, divorce passing through generation after generation, division in families between siblings, things of that nature could be a generational curse. Repeated miscarriages or barrenness can be a sign of a generational curse. Ongoing financial insufficiency for no real reason. Like we're not living way above our means, but just something is devouring the finances. Um, being critical and judgmental all the time, and just the grumbling, complaining, critical. Nobody can do anything right. I mean, that is actually a curse that we can see past through a family line. Being accident prone, so lots of accidents, like just. All the time something's happening and it doesn't make any sense, or even really odd things that don't seem to happen to anybody else, but they happen to us. That can be the sign. Um, history of suicides and unnatural deaths in family. Known activity in the Masonic or some secret society can be something that we need to look at. And abuse, emotional, physical, or sexual abuse. Abuse at all times. If that is happening repeatedly, we see it generation after generation. That can be a generational curse. And by this point, probably several of us are thinking, well, what about word curses? And what about curses from, you know, like ritual activity, like witchcraft, like we hear about people being. Well, both of those things are very real. And when we pray tonight, we're going to pray about those things. Um, so I do want to very quickly just share that word curses are words spoken in agreement with the enemy that bring death and not life. So let's look at James 3, starting in verse 8. It says, But no one among, among mankind Contain the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, bear olives, or a vine bear figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. So I think that's pretty clear that we have a choice with our words. Really, every day. And I'm going to speak positively and align with God and agree with Him, or am I going to agree? Is something that is going to bring death, that is not part of the kingdom 
other set of courses um, would be courses for practicing things that we would call a cult. And that would be witchcraft, anything where we're in partnership with the kingdom of darkness that is being done. Rituals, spells, we kind of hear those names, especially in culture. And Deuteronomy 18, verses 10 through 12, say it this way. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire, or who uses divination, or is a soothsayer, or an augur, or a sorcerer, or a charmer, or a medium, or a wizard, or a necromancer. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. So we're really told that we are not to practice witchcraft and things of that nature. And can someone practicing that have a spell or some kind of curse that they're releasing? Yes. But we have authority to pray for those things, to walk out of those things. And when we pray, we're going to include our curses and ritual curses today. Um, so now I want to bring us, I know that's way so I want to bring us now to really what I think is like the good news, the great news, right? So let's look at Exodus 20, verses 5 and 6 again. I'm going to start with kind of like the big part of verse 5. It says, For I, the Lord, your God, a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. And then this next verse, 6, says, But showing mercy and steadfast love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. That's us, right? That we are going to have mercy and love, steadfast love, for us and to a thousand generations because we love him and we're keeping his commandments. That's a promise. And it's a beautiful promise. So, now I want to look at one more scripture about this. That's Galatians 3, 13 through 14. So, we've already read this one as well, but I want to look at the next verse. So, Christ purchased our freedom, redeeming us, from the curse due of the law and its condemnation, by himself becoming a curse for us. For as it is written in the scripture, curses anyone who hangs on a tree is crucified. Now listen to verse 14. To the end, that through their receiving Christ Jesus, the blessing promised to Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. So that we, through faith, might all receive the realization of the promise of the Holy Spirit. Right? We are promised good and not evil. We are promised blessing. Right? The, the blessing that God promised to Abraham is for us. So, I want to read one more scripture and then kind of wrap up where we are, and I want to pray with us today. But I really felt like the Lord wanted me to read Isaiah 61. So I'm going to read verses 1 through 4, and then we're going to skip down to verse 9. Because this is such 
that discount comes forward in my life. So we're going to deal with all of those things today in prayer. That's what we read this to you. So you can close your eyes and listen. You can just sit back and listen. Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord anointed me to bring good news to the home. He has sent me to bind up the broken heart, to proclaim release to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garment instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the cloak of praise instead of a disheartened spirit. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Verse 4. Then they will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will raise up the former devastations, and they will repair the ruined cities, the desolation of many generations. I think that is a spiritual layer where we get to Handle these things in our family lives, step into that. I'm standing in the gap, and we get to rebuild. We get to see a future that is different going forward than maybe what we see behind us. Now I want to read verse 9. Then their offspring will be known among the nations, and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them will recognize them because they are the offspring whom the Lord has blessed. We are blessed. It is not our spiritual heritage to walk in generational curses. It is our spiritual heritage to have generational blessing to thousands I want to say that again. It is not our spiritual heritage to walk in generational curses. Our spiritual heritage is to walk in generational blessing to a thousand generations. But that means health. That means reproductiveness. That means prosperity, victory, the favor of God, being the head and not the tail. It means freedom from sin, freedom from fear, freedom from anxiety, and it means freedom from generational curses. That is what we get. Like, that is what our God does. And so today, I just, I feel like what the Lord wanted me to do is to pray over all of these areas with you guys and to see the Lord move. Because I believe that whatever He's shown you today, and even after you leave today, where there is a pattern that you've seen in your generational line that's trying to affect you, or you've even maybe fallen into agreement with the enemy and you're seeing something that happened for several generations back that's affecting you now, that can all be taken care of today, right now through us praying and applying, appropriating everything that Jesus did on the cross. Like he died for all sin, for every curse, 
for salvation, for redemption. Father, first today, I just want to bring before you every word that's ever been released over anyone. Lord, I ask you that you would bring all of those words that have been spoken by us over ourselves, by other people over us, by authorities. Lord, every single word, you know them all. And I ask you to begin to weigh and measure those words against your justice, your righteousness, what you say has brought life. And Lord, every word that has brought life and is a part of what you say. Lord, I just agree with you right now on earth as it is in heaven. And I say, Lord, release those words of life over every single person. But Lord, those words that do not stand in your, just, in your judgment and under your justice, Lord, I ask you right now that every single one of those words would be broken in the name of Jesus. I call them null and void on earth as it is in heaven. They will have no power. They will have no consequences any longer. And Lord, right now, any authorities that were released to carry out assignments based on those words, I say that to those authorities, your assignment is broken and you will go to the feet of Jesus. And now, Lord, I just ask you as, as I pray that you guys would just agree with me in your hearts. Father, we just confess that our generational lives have sinned. God, that there are patterns in our generational lives of sin and iniquity. And some of those things have come into our own lives. Lord, forgive us. Forgive our generational lives for any involvement in the occult that has brought any kind of curse. Lord, right now, we just acknowledge that this is disobedience and witchcraft and rebellion. And we ask you that you would cover all of this sin, all of this iniquity, with the blood of Jesus Christ, all the way back to Adam all the way back to the beginning. And Lord, we appropriate today the redemption for that you became a curse. And we break the power right now of every curse in the name of Jesus that came from any of this occult activity. And finally, Father, we acknowledge the generational curses in our family home. God, we confess any sin. We release forgiveness to the generational lines and say, Father, forgive them. They did not know what they were doing that was going to affect my life the way it has. God, forgive us for any way that we have agreed with any of this and allowed these curses to alight in our own lives. And forgive us for partnering with these curses or for justifying them and living with them like they're just okay and part of life, like it's our lot in life. Lord, we resist that. We submit to you today and we renounce these curses. We renounce this iniquity. We renounce these unholy 
patterns. And we ask you that it would all be placed under the blood of Jesus Christ right now. And now, Father, as you are moving through to take care of all of these things, as you are putting all of this under the blood, God, I ask you that you would come as the God outside of time, and that you would release your Holy Spirit to find every single root. For all the way back in the generational line, whatever was the first sin, the first thing that happened that created this mess, that erected an altar in the timeline to the enemy, an agreement with the enemy. God asking you that you would come, release your angels to destroy every one of those places, uproot every root. Lord, forgive us for any way that we've judged you because of the things that have happened to us in our lives that we didn't understand. Lord, the ways that we don't even realize that we've judged you, but we thought that you weren't there or that you allowed something that did not come to your hand. And we're based on that, asking you to remove all of the trauma lines to time and land, to destroy every altar. And right now we break, shatter, cut off, dissolve, and destroy every unholy covenant, every ungodly assignment, every curse, every vow, every agreement, and every unholy alliance in the name of Jesus. And we decree that we believe that Jesus has redeemed us from the curse, and we are appropriating that work right now. And Lord, I just command every spirit attached to anything that we've prayed about that does not bow your name to the Lord Jesus Christ to leave in the name of Jesus. You have no legal right any longer. And now, Father, as we've broken and removed these curses, God, we ask you to feel us, feel us fresh. God, with your presence, with your peace, with your joy, with all that you've planned for us, for all that you have for us to prosper in. And Lord, lastly, I just feel like you just want to bring forth the generational blessing. So God, we just say, Lord, we're sorry for any way that our family lines or ourselves have misused or abused or defiled any of the giftings and the callings and any of the things that you gave us that were meant to be a blessing. Lord, where there's been a blessing stuck because of the generational curses, I ask you that you would release those right now, all the way back to Abraham, to the blessings that we read that are our promise, the blessings of Abraham being pulled forward right now into every single person's life. God, bring them forward. So, now I just want to ask you guys, I want to bless you and with this sentence, so if you would just stand with me, um, I will leave you with this blessing. May the Lord bless you with many gifts. May the Lord guard you with a hedge of protection. May the Lord illuminate the wholeness of his being toward you and bring 
May the Lord lift out His holiness and of being, and look upon you and set in place all that you need to be whole and complete. May the Spirit of the Lord rest on you. May the Spirit of wisdom and understanding guide you. May the Spirit of counsel and might move mightily through you. And may the Spirit of knowledge and the Spirit of the Lord encounter you at all times. And may every blessing that the enemy has stolen be returned to you and your family. Thank you for listening to today's message. For updates on future episodes, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review to let us know how we're doing. For more information about Awake Church, visit awakechurch.com.